0: Hi, this is Panel Beta and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page.
1: My name is Training Wheels and we've got a beautiful show lined up for you this morning. I'm joined in the studio by my co-host, Cyber Sue. Hello, Cyber Sue morning. <laughs> <laughs> and panel beater is here in the studio with us as well, pushing buttons and making wise comments and maybe wise cracks, who knows. On the zoom, we have Dr. Patient who's been on a bit of a radiotherapy hiatus for a few weeks, so it'll be interesting to hear what he's been up to or Not up to. (laughs) And on Zoom, we've also... Good morning, Dr Patient. We've also got two great guests this morning. I'm very excited. First up, we have Dr Kimberly Humphrey, who is the Deputy Chair of Doctors for the Environment Australia, or DEA. Very excited to talk to Dr Humphrey about DEA's concerns and priorities, especially with the little election happening next week. I'm sorry to remind you, listeners. It might be a bit political today. How could we forget? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very excited to talk to Dr Humphrey. We've also, later on in the show, got Ryan Lovett coming on the air, who is the chair of the Australasian College of Paramedicine. He'll be talking to us about the issue of ambulance ramping and how a chief paramedic officer might help. That's a role we don't have in Australia at the moment, and we'll speak to him about what that might entail. We've got a great show, a bit of a public health focus with the election. Let's go to a bit of news first, and we'll be back in a moment. This is a podcast from R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support RRR by donating or becoming a
2: subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how.
1: Hello, Cyber Sue, how are you? A proper hello.
2: Oh, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Trainer Wells. Good morning, panel beater, doctor, patient, and Kimberly. I am feeling pretty fine. It was a bit of a rush to get here, but you know, we're <laughs> back in the real world now of traffic and getting everywhere and being in person and all good. Nice. Yeah. Nice. How are you, panel beater?
0: I'm very well. <laughs>
1: He was off with the fairies then, everybody, for just for a visual. Just me and the fairies. <laughs> but he's with us now. He is wearing wings after all. <laughs> Doctor Patient, how are you? You're not here. You're on
2: Zoom.
0: I'm on Zoom. I'm in bed. I'm just loving. This you're Sunday in bed, bed. now. Yeah, just he's for
2: people. A, he's doing a John Lennon bedding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for listeners who – we haven't heard from Dr Patient for a while, so for people who might have forgotten, he his day job, I suppose, or, you know, his normal, when he's not on radiotherapy, he works as a lived experience advocate for, say, in Australia. Is that right, Dr Patient? Oh, yeah. That's and right. you've sort I'm of got a, a bit more lived experience to tell us about today. Is that right? Yes.
0: I'm, I'm certainly not lazing around on a Sunday. I have been bedridden for the past uh... – Coming up, coming up five, five to six weeks Oof. now. I had a bit of a bicycle injury, and uh, cat-like reflexes got my foot out. But unfortunately, because I went over the handlebars, <laughs> I have broken my tibia, my fibula. I dislocated my ankle, and I did that in three places. So I keep getting compliments.
1: Wow! Yeah, I was about to say that's a mm. really good job, mm. very yeah, thorough. That
0: was a um, that was a Monday morning in late March. So oh. it was just. It was, uh, it, I was, I was testing our new bike route, you know, everyone's getting back into life. Mm. I was trying to do, you know, sports. Um, <laughs> I'd, mm. I'd had a, I'd had a great week. I'd, I'd, I'd knocked off good 200 kilometres wow. for, for the week. And uh, I was looking, I was sort of just looking to push it a bit further. And, and I was uh, working my way where it was sort of down, sort of down the, the sort of Elwood Elstonwick way. And I was working my way into the city to get onto this capital city trail. And uh, I was just, just testing it out. It was a it was a, it was a new new route, and uh, got my tyre stuck in one of those disused tracks. Mm. Went over the front of the handlebars, and my foot went out, and I uh, took the whole force, and the ankle popped out. Oh. So, where the talus is?
3: The oh, ankle popped yeah. out, and the
0: only way that an ankle can pop out is <laughs> if you break the bone in the process. So I broke the tibia and fibula in three places.
1: Man, panel beat has got his head in his hands. Yeah. We're all grimacing yeah. and wincing. Just as well as the radio. Feel free to stop
0: TV. at any point. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, to, to be honest, I'm surprised that my wife didn't hear me from Elston. <laughs> so I, it was, oh. look, it was, it was just it was it was painful. Oh. So this was this was 10:30 on a on a Monday morning and um had you had and, your coffee? Uh, <laughs> had your coffee. That's why I was out. I was I was all set. I was out and about ready to roll and to to start illustrating a bit of the process and I know we're, we're going to talk about it a bit a bit later. The the ambulance arrived within 15 minutes. There was staff from um, there was a there was a paramedic, and there was also a staff that had been brought in from uh, from the navy. I um, don't know if it was a reserve, mm. but he was an assistant in the in the ambulance. Mm-hmm. They wheeled me into into the Alfred, and uh, I was in there for you know a good uh, a good ten to twelve days. Mm. They couldn't even operate for the first ten days. So for those playing at home, they put me in in an X fix, which is uh, an external fixation. So what they had to do was they had to. They had uh, to, you know, dope me up with everything possible because it was just so damn painful. And uh, they put me in an X fix under under general. So they drilled a couple of holes into my shin, drilled a couple of holes into my uh, heel, put an external fixation or basically a frame to isolate the leg because it was so. I like the ankles because it was so swollen. They couldn't do anything, and I just had to wait for for ten days in uh, in hospital. Oh, yeah. um, I was in a ward that was a temporary ward at the Alfred. They'd spun that up because of idiots like me trying to get back in the line. So oh. it was supposed to be it was supposed to be a, a, a um, disused ward that they were going to renovate. Um, so when I when I woke up in there and saw this beautiful like retro eighties decor, I <laughs> that's what the hospitals looked like because that was I mean this was the this was the second time in my life I'd ever been in an ambulance and the first time I'd ever really broken anything that required a hospital stay. So I was in the, I think it was uh, the delightful ward of 2E. Um, I cannot for one second fault the nurses but just thanking every single one of them. They were positive, they were supportive, that any single thing that went wrong was corrected within within two hours you know anything that went wrong was minor administrative stuff because there were so many people talking to others um you know the the only thing that 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 they couldn't do was provide definitive answers as to when the swelling would go down and that is just completely subjective to the patient i had uh, i was in I was in completely public ward um so i had uh, a, a person with me constantly you know i think the the, there were three people that rotated through the room next to me. Um, the, the bed was the bed was vacated next to me for no longer than two hours. Mm. As Soon as one person went out, mm. another person came in, um, and it was it was a it was a very it was it was actually a very um, stereotypical hospital stay. You had the poor geriatric gentleman trying to leave the hospital at two in the morning, looking <laughs> for his wife who had to keep getting, being okay. brought back to bed. Um, you had uh, you had good news coming through. You had bad news coming through. I, I know that because I was just laying there listening to the lives of other patients. Yeah, privacy um, is
1: not much of a not a strong suit no, in the public hospital. No, I
0: think everyone's seen my my bum. <laughs> 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 but um, it was for, for someone who's never and you know I'm I'm in my mid forties now who's never been in hospital for that any kind of extended stay like that. To to actually see and just experience the, the lives of others, you really mm. it is an even playing field, and we are we are all just uh, just trying to survive, I would you know. Just, and I would every, just. everyone was the the difficulty was is that you know ten, 10 years ago on a Sunday afternoon you could probably wheel the Weber in for the visiting hours, mm. but nowadays just just with the COVID protocols, my wife was allowed to visit once. She had to book wow. in, she had to be masked. You know, it was. It was a very different world. Mm-hmm.
2: And, Dr so, Patient, it's so good to hear, um, your, in many ways, your good experience of your healthcare and how good it was because the rest of the hour has got a few – it's kind of – we're looking today a bit at what's going wrong and some of the crisis we're facing. So yep. it's so good to there's and, still good stuff happening, absolutely. Yeah,
0: and I definitely have comments on that. Yeah. And, and after going through the process, there is definitely, you know, looking at it – being able to look at it from a slightly – slightly more top-down perspective I can see where the problems are mm. Mm. but I, I, I just need to I need to illustrate that the people on the ground who are doing it yeah. the doctors and nurses and surgeons who were there I could not fault them for a second that's, that's so and, mm. that's
1: so nice to hear doctor patient especially someone yeah. with your background as a consumer advocate, you know, you've, yep. you've got a... to... They, they,
0: were, they were just amazing. Yeah, that's that really
1: good. Amazing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry this has happened, obviously. It's <laughs> awful. And, yeah.
2: and I, I have it's, another question long... for you, and it's outside of the health Please. system, but I did a somersault, but I was on a motorbike last year, and I have a question for you. Is Are yep. you getting back on the bike?
0: You know, I've never been afraid of anything like that before. Um, I Right now... I don't want to, mm. but, and I, I've never. I have. I've done rock climbing. I've done abseiling. I've jumped out of an aeroplane. I've done all of that stuff, but for the first time ever, I'm actually looking at that bicycle. And uh, for the for the time being, and I'm sure I'll be able to. You know what we tell our son: you you, you pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and, and get back on there. But yeah. but for the first time ever, it was scary. And I'm I, my bike's fine, bloody bike she <laughs> <laughs> must be a good bike <laughs> okay. and I've had it you know I've had it for years we, we just uh, I've, we, I we I just said look let's try the riding again mm-hmm. and so I um, I got back into it and I was loving it you know I just I'd, I'd really Found a rhythm, but this was this was such an injury, yeah and it, the um, healing's not just the bones, is little. it
2: the healings is the mind to get you know because it's good for your so good for, good for your health and good for your soul to be out there doing the exercise, yeah. so mm. it's yeah. not just the bones that need to heal. Thanks yeah, for so
0: um, so yeah, it, at, at the moment it's a bit scary. Mm, mm, yeah, mm. that's fair
2: enough.
1: Not mm. in a hurry to get back, I imagine. <laughs> Thanks for sharing your experience, Doctor Patient. Cyber Sue, you've got a bit of a related story sort of, have you? I do, you? I
2: do, I do, and I'll keep it fairly brief. And it's um, it's also it's also on the same kind of theme about the the, the some of the staff doing it pretty tough in the hospitals. Um, it was an article that came out on Thursday where senior um, senior um, happened to be at the Alfred, but it's incidental. The hospital professor John Wilson, who I happen to know. Um, professionally, he's a physician, at a, a very senior and well-respected physician, well-known for his advocacy for, uh, you know, outstanding patient care. Et cetera, he's the president et of the College of Physicians, isn't he? He, he yeah. is. He is. However, he is stepping down from. He has just stepped down from his role as the president and role as a uh, physician. And what's kind of relevant about that is that he's said that he can't do it without kind of speaking up about what he calls. Um, our healthcare workers being pushed to breaking point, and being burnt out to the point beyond exhaustion is how he's quoted in the art, in this article in the Age, and um, we you know we are as uh, Trainer Wheel said we're talking to the uh, to Ryan Lovett from the Australia, Australasian College of Paramedicine later about some of the things that can be done about this, but we're in we're we're highlighting that we're in a point of crisis. Um, is it all to do with COVID? Uh, uh, we had a code brown earlier on this year. People, were, uh, staff, were stopped from taking leave. Um, non-urgent surgery was put on hold. So I'm glad that your surgery was urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we've got this overcrowding and ambulance ramping that we're talking about. That's really compromising uh, the health at, of seriously ill patients. Yeah, it's it's not good. <laughs> no, it's no, no, no. Exactly. And I mean, you know. It, we're we're getting on with our lives as you say, but um, we're we're going through another surge in coronavirus, and that's just the people that are reporting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people who um, are not. Of course, they're not reporting that they've got COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people still in hospital with COVID impacting um, hospitals, and um, people. Are, the, there's there's um, reports coming through of people being resuscitated in waiting rooms and. Mm-hmm. Um et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. trainer wheels, I'm sure you're seeing this as well.
1: Certainly. Yeah. Most recently I was working in an emergency department and it really is Pretty um, extreme at the moment, Mm. the uh, the overcrowding in the bed block, and Mm.
2: yeah, we'll talk. We'll get into it more when we speak to Ryan. I think later in the hour. And I mean, I think you know, just briefly, there's some. What what can be done about this? And Mm -hmm. uh, you know, John Wilson, he he said that he's got no plans to retire because he's going to be getting out there and advocating for healthcare workers. There's been, you know, we're in the middle of uh, obviously this election, and there's been a promise of up to seven thousand new healthcare workers. There's a campaign for bringing overseas trained um, healthcare workers to help fill the gaps and there's a discussion should we be uh, splitting funding between Commonwealth and state that Mm. would increase the funding Um, but the concerns are that this is some of this is long-term strategy Mm. planning but we need we Mm. need this right here and right now um, because uh, otherwise our experienced staff are just leaving Um, and I I just kind of I was discussing this um, with my husband in the pre-briefing meeting this morning (laughs) and you know we're talking about is there some more? Do we need some upskilling of our community? Is there some more things we can be doing? Should we be all learning mental health first aid, mm. or first aid, or emergency treatment? Should we be looking at more the role of pharmacists, telehealth, community skills? And mm. um, you know, he said he'd be happy to go and do some training so he can kind of help some people local. It doesn't mm. solve the system, mm. but does the community have a role to get a little bit more mm. involved? So, yeah, it's a good question. It's mm. a good
1: question because it's pretty pretty dire mm. at the moment.
0: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au.
1: We are joined by Dr Kimberly Humphrey now, who is the Deputy Chair of DEA, Doctors for the Environment Australia. Kimberly, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Before we sort of get into the weeds with DEA, can you tell us a bit about yourself? What's your day job and how did you get involved with DEA?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an emergency physician and I've been involved with DEA, gosh, probably going on about four years now. And I've been a doctor for a lot longer than that. And One of the things I think early on in my training, I, so I'm from Adelaide originally and that's where I work at the moment. But I did spend some time working in Alice Springs and I spent some time working in Mackay and regional Queensland as well. And that sort of the impacts and the poorer health outcomes in our regional rural communities already sort of got me thinking about health and all of the the broader concepts of health that aren't just what we might think of as the health impacts. Um, And then certainly... I've been back to Alice Springs a few times as a more senior doctor, and I have seen the impacts of climate change in that area. And we see it more and more and more in emergency departments in the cities as well. And it really started to um, make a lot of sense to me as something that was a very, very urgent problem. And I think in, in high school we kind of learned about the greenhouse effect, et cetera, and all of those things, and it seemed very far away. And now we're already seeing the impacts of that um, every day with our patients and we know it will only get worse and so that's really driven my advocacy in this area and, and to me this is our greatest health challenge that we face.
2: Wow, Kimberly that's so interesting, it's not something I think about a lot myself I'll be very honest. What kind of health problems do you see coming that are directly being related to the um, to these environmental issues? Absolutely.
4: So I think the obvious ones that everyone kind of jumps to is really hot day, heat stroke, you see those people, it's obviously heat related. One of the big things is that a lot of the impacts are quite hidden. So it's the fact that people during a heatwave, for example, mental health presentations go up significantly, suicides go up. In a a heatwave. Sorry? In a heatwave. In a heatwave. That's so interesting. There is. Um, We know elderly people will have um, higher health impacts and it's not always the obvious stuff. It's all of the links between their medication and dehydration and, Mm. and all of those things. So we get people who come in and die of a heart attack, which also increases during heat waves, but that link isn't always made Mm. and so there's a lot we're not seeing that is actually caused by climate change Mm. and then of course there is impacts of bushfires and smoke and we saw a lot of that around New South Wales and Canberra a few years ago but really if you pick any kind of health problem or health impact climate change can Mm. worsen that.
2: And Mm. I suppose you're right because it's just so intrinsically you know related to our existence and being our environment of course and the other thing that comes to mind is uh the longer-term trauma or mental health effects of going through those bushfires and events must be the type of thing you're seeing in your work there too
4: absolutely so in Adelaide we were lucky to not be as affected as the east coast was in the fires but we did have some fairly significant fires here and I can remember working in the emergency department when the fires were happening on Kangaroo Island and we were even seeing people in our area which is not near kangaroo island you know there's a ferry and a few hundred k's um, Mm. who were presenting with mental health problems then Mm. and then even now we see those long-term mental health impacts from those populations we are seeing what we would say is eco-anxiety or Mm. eco-grief in young people and that's not just presenting to general practitioners i see that in emergency
3: Mm.
4: and it's only going to get worse
1: that's a really hard one too, isn't it, eco-grief and the sort of climate anxiety because what do you say to someone? Like, yeah, it is really grim. <laughs> You're right to be anxious about it. It's terrible. Right,
4: right. You can't play it down, can you? I mean there's, there's certain things and I think it varies for every individual and there's certain things that work better for young people. We see in adults as well. I mean I have elements of that too and um, my response to that as somebody who identifies as a medical professional, I have privilege and power. Um, and I can use that to to act on this, and that helps me. Not everybody has that, and it's a lot harder when you're very powerless Mm. to be able to deal with these feelings. It's a huge Mm. problem.
2: And do you have kind of ideas or suggestions for how we can talk with young people who are feeling genuinely anxious and concerned about their future and the environment?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I think part of it is listening. You know, not downplaying that and not saying, no, no, it's, it's not a problem. It is a problem. We know it's a problem. I think there's a, there are a few things. So uh, one of the things is just encouraging them to reconnect to nature as it is at the moment because there is still a lot of good stuff out there and there is still a lot of things um, around that that can help those feelings too. But I think encouraging them to act as well. So even though they may not have the standing in society of some other groups, although i would argue that young people are making a huge difference at the moment i um, encouraging them to get out and have a voice is really important and there's lots of avenues for young people to do that at the moment and then finally i think would be focusing on the fact that we it is grim but we do still have hope we do still have that window to make a difference that will produce much much better outcomes for our communities within the next <sighs> decade
2: mm. so put 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 your um ang- put your angst to action and maintain yeah. hope
4: Yes, yeah. 100%. Kimberly, can you tell us there's an
1: election happening next week, which we're all <laughs> acutely aware of. Yes. What, are, <laughs> what do you think people should be considering with their vote when it comes to the environment and health? What are DEA, yeah. you know, from your own experience and your own sort of perspective, but from DEA's perspective too, what are the sorts of issues that you think are really important?
4: Mm, Absolutely. So obviously, personally, and with DEA, we would like to see some um, ambitious climate policies. Now, understanding very much the political environment that we live in, um, that's how we would frame it, is to say we we would just like to see some progressive action on this, both in regards to to climate, um, but also in regards to climate and health as well, and development of things like a national health strategy, and adapting our health systems for climate change, which we haven't done. Mm. So we know the effects are already here. We're already at 1.2 of warming. We will hit 1.5 and everything we're seeing will get worse no matter what we do and we need to adapt our health systems and we need plans for that. So that policy um, positions are very important. So I'd encourage um, anyone to vote in favour of such positions on that. And um, the next thing that I would say is I think there is a big argument I hear made about sort of climate action versus the economy. Mm. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So good climate action is good for the economy and creates jobs as well. So I would encourage anyone to look at the policies of the major parties and support climate action, which supports the economy and it supports health as well. And this is a critical election because we do still have time to make a difference, but we need to do it now. Mm. Too right, too right.
1: You know, I, I, I fear sometimes on Triple R that we're preaching to the converted, but, you know, it's still worth hammering at home, isn't it? That's <laughs> right. Tell your friends who yeah. maybe aren't the converted as true. well. That's true. You That's know? a good point. That's a good point. Um, Cam. Cam's got a question? Mm. Go, go, go.
0: The, the, it's it's very interesting this year talking uh, talking with my parents and family members who are in their 70s and 80s. Um, it's, it's sort of more of a comment. It's like for the next two elections the vote will really not impact anyone in the 70s and 80s. And so, you know, the vote that you, that you can do to look at something that will not affect your literal environment, mm-hmm. if, if they're on the fence at all, vote for your grandchildren.
4: Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, <laughs>
0: yeah. Vote for the young That's what you do. They'll
4: have to look at our decisions, yeah.
0: It's, 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 there, there is nothing that will change to anyone in their 70s or 80s at all. For, for two yeah. elections, it, it just doesn't matter. But you can help your grandchildren. So.
1: Good point, Dr. Patient. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much, Kimberly.
1: Mm. Thank you. I'm sort of lost for words myself. I get a bit. Uh, I get. It's not so much eco anxiety. I get more just kind of a bit deflated and a bit hopeless. But I suppose you know, talking to you, Kimberly, it is a good reminder that there are things we can do
2: to um, mm. to. Take action and 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 feel like we're doing something positive. And as general population people, and within our professions as well, like I love it that you know we're talking about the crisis that's hitting emergency doctors, and here you are doing this extra work and you know really putting yourself into something else as well, which is absolutely to be commended.
1: How do you how do you manage your own climate anxiety or e- eco grief or or you know whatever you want to call it and and at the same time as perhaps seeing the impact of it firsthand in your work and then also dealing with, you know, DEA on the side, you sort of, I can imagine you're kind of overrun with climate (laughs) catastrophe. (laughs) How do you manage it?
4: Yeah, and I sort of touched on it before. For me, it's action. You know, it's getting out here and doing these things and feeling like I maybe am impacting on a bigger difference uh, with my advocacy in this area. I mean, all of the issues you've talked about earlier around ramping and the crisis in our hospitals, is the same across Australia and we see it in South Australia as well every day. That's only going to get worse with the impacts of climate change on health as well. And so that drives me too because I would like our hospitals to be able to provide better care for our patients as well. So there's a lot that that keeps me going and um, encourages me to keep doing the work.
1: Yeah, good on you. It's very, it's very nice to hear that you know we can we can turn it into action and and keep ourselves sort of occupied in that way. I suppose. Um, Cyber Sue, panel beater, do you have any questions you'd like to ask at this stage? I'm sort of running out of time too. Kimberly, oh, you've covered it. You've been you've been so thorough.
4: <laughs> you've left Thank us all you. speechless. Important <laughs> topics. Yeah, yeah. I I yeah. Time talking about
1: it. I suppose any sort of last last comments you'd like to make um, to any listeners? Any sort of points you think we haven't we haven't covered yet or um, any considerations with, with the election or otherwise. take-homes. Mm.
4: Yeah, yeah. And as I think we mentioned before, you know, preaching to the converted, I do a lot of that. I talk to a lot of doctors and medical students who are already on board with this. But have those wider conversations and there's a way you can have these conversations with people who maybe are on the fence or are not so much in this box as well. And it's so important because you can make a difference and if those people change their vote or if they go out and have those conversations with others they know, then we're really having that ripple effect. So please do that.
2: Absolutely.
1: Good on you, Kimberly. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us and for your, your wonderful insights and, and all the best and fingers crossed that the election gives us the outcomes we need for the climate and our health. And, and everything. The whole, we solve all problems. That would be nice, (laughs) wouldn't it? Having me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank 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 you. you.
0: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
1: We just interviewed Dr. Kimberly Humphrey, Deputy Chair of DEA, and we've got another interview now with Ryan Lovett, who is the Chair of the Australasian College of Paramedicine. So you're joining us from Adelaide, I believe.
3: I am. Good morning.
1: Thank you so much for being with us this morning. There's been a lot in the news this week about ambulance ramping, which I think has a bit to do with you. <laughs> You've been um, bringing I'm that to mark, our attention. I'm not taking any
3: responsibility.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. No, you're bringing it to our attention. You're not responsible for the ramping. Um, <laughs> before we get right into it, tell us what is ambulance ramping? Why, what's, why is it happening? What's this What's this
3: problem? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a deep topic. Um, mm. you know, fundamentally, ambulance ramping, it's the inability of paramedics to hand over care for their patients. So I'll they'll they'll get to an emergency department with a patient they believe needs further assessment or treatment. And they just can't hand over that patient to to ongoing care. And so, I mean, fundamentally, that's an inability to access that hospital.
1: When I, I, my most, I'm on leave at the moment from work, but most recently I was working in emergency and something that I was really struck by, tell me if I'm wrong here, Ryan, but I imagine that the sort of person who goes into paramedicine is sort of a bit of a thrill seeker. Really passionate about helping the community, being on the ground. A bit like an emergency
2: doctor. It's similar,
1: exactly. Yeah. Maybe a bit of a short attention span, <laughs> sort of fast pace, um, you know, really on the ground, on the front line, helping people out. And so many poor paramedics spend hours and hours sitting around in hospital waiting to hand over their patients. And I just thought these poor Buggers! This probably is not why they got into paramedicine <laughs> to be sitting around for hours. How are the workforce coping with this?
3: Um, I mean, you're exactly right. It's 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 it's. I like I always liked, it. and the reason I got into to paramedicine a very long time ago is like this: this order to chaos. You come and there's you know you get you get to a scene. There's people everywhere. There's bits of car everywhere. If it's a car crash, there's you know things are going bad, and you can come in and go actually. I've, I can help this. I can do something really positive and really kind of help this family, or help these people, or help this person, and kind of steer them in the right direction. And, and I, I think a lot of a lot of my colleagues are like that. And, and you're exactly right. And what's what's kind of happened over the last you know ten or fifteen years is that role has dramatically changed. So we're actually like we're actually actively looking for different type of people now mm. because you know the 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 car accidents and the you know the people falling off bicycles and the uh, and the cardiac arrests are becoming a very, very small part of the day to day job now it 's becoming much more focused on community care, um, this kind of primary care substitution mm. uh, and 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 longer periods of care for a patient you know you, w- When I started and you go back and look at the figures you know your average kind of patient contact time was you know an hour if you're lucky kind of thing. And now we're seeing patient contact times of four, five, six hours. And what we're seeing is the education that we've been providing to paramedics over the last 10 years doesn't really provide for that longevity of care. So it's a really interesting mix. And we're seeing, um, and we're seeing quite a, you know, it's, it's, it's a really diverse workforce, the paramedic workforce. You know, you've got, you know, you've got graduates who are 23, 24, ranging up to people who are in their 50s and 60s who have been doing it, you know, since before paramedics existed, essentially, um, you get this really interesting mix, but, you know, the bulk of the workforce, which are, you know, kind of late 20s, early 30s, it's a real shift for them. And, and I think a lot of them are now saying this is a really hard, this is a really hard position to be in because this is not what our original training and education have provided, you know, prepared, prepared us for. And, and we're trying to provide this ongoing care when we don't have the resources or either to do it, you know, an ambulance stretcher is not a great. It's a it's a trauma mattress. I mean, it's designed for people who have spinal injuries. That's exactly what it's designed for. It's not designed to have somebody lying on for six hours. And you get things like pressure sores, and you get all these kind of adverse effects of these long patient contact times.
1: Ryan, you've raised about ten points that I want to <laughs> so, <laughs> dig into yes, Don't deeper. ask one question; you get to ask. That's good. It's good. Um, the first thing is you said that. Over the last ten to fifteen years, this has been an increasing problem. I wonder if the public's perception is that this is kind of a direct ip- uh, consequence of COVID, and what your take on that is. Whether this is—it sounds like it's longer standing than that. It's not just COVID that's contributing no, to this it, problem. No,
3: it's absolutely not just COVID. And, and kind of, and one of the things as an organisation, the college, we've been out there saying this is not a COVID. This is not a. This is not a COVID symptom. This is not a you know a, a result of COVID. You know, ambulance ramping has been an issue for at least 20 years across mm. across the eastern seaboard of Australia. You know, I, you know, I remember in the early 2000s, you know, 2004 and 2005 in New South Wales, we were having, you know, 8-, 10-, 12-hour delays for ambulances at hospitals, albeit at that stage the demand was so much lower. So if you had an ambulance that was stuck at a hospital for... You know, it might have been one or two ambulances across a fleet, whereas nowadays what we've seen is those problems... Those problems, were they were embryonic at that stage. They've always been there. But what's happened is the demand has just increased and those problems have just been amplified and exposed by that increase in demand. So, yeah, this is not a new problem. What we did see during COVID was we did see a significant drop in demand. I know in South Australia, it was about 7 to 8% drop in demand when COVID just first started to take effect. And those numbers are pretty consistent across Australia and New Zealand. And so everyone kind of said, oh okay, things are okay, the hospitals are fine, you know, ambulance demand is fine. And then what we saw, you know, late last year and absolutely was a force this year is that demand just comes straight back where it left off.
1: Do you reckon it's because people were putting things off during the COVID period and now they're sicker? What yeah. what how do you explain that?
2: They weren't uh, out riding their bicycle. I, mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> <that's funny. laughs>
3: um, I think people were really and, and you know, and, and I was working I was working right in the mix of, of of it during when COVID first kind of started to appear in Australia. And there was a real, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of, and a lot of, you know, and there's a, this, this kind of fear in the community about, I don't want to go to a hospital because that's where the COVID people are. And so I think, and I don't want to go to my doctor and the doctor, and certainly the GPs were very uh, were very apprehensive about anybody with, with respiratory symptoms. If you had a, you know, a sniffle and you tried to get a GP appointment in, you know, 2020, it was impossible And and I don't criticise them at all for that. I think it's legitimate because you know we were certainly very apprehensive, you know, in in the ambulance services, and 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 that was just echoed across the community. So I think just people just stayed out, stayed at home, Um, and then as things, you know, and then certainly as you say, you get sicker, and things, you know, things compound, and then you have to seek care, and that's kind of what we're seeing now.
2: Mm. And um, Ryan, you you kind of in your ten points that you raised in that first sentence. (laughs) You also talked about the changing uh, demographic, I guess, of people who are contacting, who are calling an ambulance. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested to know, um, of the calls you get, how many of them are what you might call legitimate? And do you have a criteria for what's a legitimate or non-legitimate call? And then I'll throw something else in there is that as a community, is there something we should be doing or learning or being educated about about when to call an ambulance?
3: Yeah. So this is really interesting. So, so the college, and and certainly all the people I speak to, and myself personally, we have a real objection to what to the 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 language around legitimacy of triple mm-hmm. zero calls. We, yeah, it's, I, I really, it's really, I, I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's helpful language in the community, um, and this is why It's is is it's not the community's responsibility to navigate the health system. Mm-hmm. If, if we've built this health system and it's complex and it's ugly and it's got all the pointy bits and, and, and troughs of, you know, despair, um, and so it's, it's our job, it's our job as health professionals, it's our job as the health system... To help people navigate that system, so mm. I, you know, I subscribe very firmly to the fact that if you need help, you call, and it's up to us to engineer a system mm. and engineer a response mm. to that. And I think, you know, and, and Victoria, to their credit, has actually done a really great job of that. So it's the so one of the one of the tools in the in the in the toolbox is secondary triage, where you uh, where somebody might call triple zero, they'll get screened out to make sure they're not in imminent, you know, in imminent chance of, of severe injury or death. And then I will get transferred to a, you know, another advanced paramedic or a nurse who will take them through a, you know, a more detailed questioning, question and answer process to kind of tease out what their issue is and help stream them into the right care. Mm-hmm. Now, Victoria does like 30 or 40% of triple zero calls are streamed through that system, which is amazing compared to you know, single digits in South Australia, maybe 10 or 15% in New South Wales. So I think that's one of the really great things uh, about... Uh, it's one of the great things in Victoria where they're really saying, they're really taking this approach... Um, Of saying, you know, you call and we will help you no matter what that help looks like. But in saying that, there is, you know, there is things that people in the community can do kind of prepare themselves and and it's about it's about having a plan you know and you see the language around having a bushfire plan if you live in a bushfire prone area you see all these 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 messages about having a plan it's like and and so the same is is equally true for your for your own health and well-being especially you know if you've got elderly relatives or or a young family you're saying if something if x happens what am I going to do you know do I have deep you know do I know if there's a local uh, you know, twenty-four hour bulk building medical centre where I can go to and get some advice. Do I know if there's a twenty-four hour pharmacy nearby? Do I know the numbers, especially in Melbourne? Do I know the number for nurse on call so I can give them a call and get that advice? And do I know where, where? Do I know what my options are with regards to visiting an you know, emergency department? Is, you know, if you've got a kid, you know, what are my options for going to a you know a kid-specific emergency department? Things like that. Just knowing what your options are so that at three o'clock in the morning, when your eight-year-old wakes up with a a raging fever, you've got a list of options there, and 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 000 should absolutely be on that list of options. If you're worried, if you're concerned, mm. if you've got any worries about yourself or a family member, absolutely call because that's what they're there for.
2: Yeah, and so, um, so just for our listeners, just to bring us back, we are listening to, we are talking with um, Ryan Lovett. He is the chair of the Australasian College of Paramedicine, and we are going to get to his proposal in a minute. We haven't quite got there yet <laughs> because there's a whole lot more interesting stuff in the meantime. And um, I think that Dr. Patient's got something he wants to ask
0: yeah well very briefly thanks for coming on ryan the we're getting a lot of a lot of numbers thrown at us saying what we can do to to fix the problem you know we're going to provide two thousand people here and seven thousand people there and that sort of thing if it is it literally a uh, and we are talking about victoria at the moment is it a is it a bums in ambulance issue or do you think that there should be a lot more thought to it rather than especially in an election year throwing big numbers at us
3: yeah you're absolutely right and and the easy thing is to say we're going to employ more paramedics and 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 whilst i think there's a certain aspect of it that is actually matching resource demand i don't think it's you can't just throw more resources at the problem the problem is a systemic problem that exists across the health system it's 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 a problem of of adequate access to and resourcing into primary care. It's a problem of, you know, adequate resourcing access to emergency departments. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's, and I, I go full circle. I really enjoy this. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a problem of, you know, efficient and effective process and, 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 you know, and having the right people in the right place in the hospital. is moving people through hospital, through inpatient wards, through specialties. But then the fundamental bit is how do we get these people back out of hospital and into the community? And it's about having good access to, you know, post-acute care in the community. So people who are discharged from hospital can get that ongoing, ongoing care as they recover from whatever they were in hospital for. And that ties back to adequate resourcing and effective access to primary care. It's this big kind of cyclical thing. So Mm -hmm. uh, I I think fundamentally, and the reason I do it, the reason I like to talk about it in a circle is, you know, from where we stand, uh, you know, primary care is kind of this nexus of where we think the resourcing... In, in the short term, can be really effectively um, brought to bear because, it, it, you know, it's primary care at the front end, it's primary care at the back end. And, you know, and, and kind of our position is nothing replaces a really great general practitioner, the amount that a general practitioner adequately resorts with the right time and tools and resources to kind of manage these patients and support these patients, it just it, it kind of it it force multiplies across the system. So uh, you know, so and one of our proposals and I'll there you go I'll steer yeah, yeah. us into that. <laughs> yeah. And so one of our proposals is about kind of how do we bolster this primary care uh, primary care system in the in the short term. And for us, you know, that's urgent care because that gives uh, that gives ambulance services and paramedics. You know, it's kind of it's selfish, but we think it's really effective and we've seen it work really effectively in in New Zealand and uh, and in Canada. Is you know it gives ambulance paramedics the opportunity to say actually we, you, we know you need we know you don't need an emergency department you don't need all the bells and whistles of an emergency department but let's but there's nowhere else for you to ta- for us to take you you know if, if i'm working on an ambulance in melbourne on you know at, at nine o'clock on a saturday night Literally, the emergency department is the only place mm, I can take you mm. if you need ongoing care or assessment. So, let's give people another option mm. to take, you know, to say, actually, you don't, you, you might just need an x ray, you might need an ultrasound, you might need a blood test, have mm. somebody quickly interpret those results and then kind of refer you to ongoing care or refer you back to self care, which is even better.
0: So,
3: I that's that. kind of yeah. where we see as kind of the real opportunity there.
1: Yeah, I just wanted it's to make a couple of comments quickly, Ryan. I think in many ways, what you're getting at is that paramedics and emergency departments are kind of the canary in the coal mine
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. when
1: the yeah. system overall is struggling, right? So just chucking more AMBOs out in the community doesn't solve it because the issue of bed block in hospitals is kind of – Largely at the root of this, right? You can't get patients off beds in the emergency department because the hospitals are full, because we can't get patients discharged quick enough and yada, yada, yada. Um, And I think I completely agree with your comments about adequately funding primary care. Mm. And we know that, you know, just to do a little election plug, if I may, (laughs) I know that Labor have have announced a a large boost to primary care funding in in recent days. So that's just something for listeners to consider uh, when they go to the polls next weekend. Um, And... Cyber Sue, I'm not sure if you were going to raise something else or go to the kind of juicy part of the interview now.
2: Well, I mean, you kind of started on it. Mm. I just wanted to talk about the, your proposal for paramedics. and um,
1: Yeah, so Ryan, you and the, and the College of Paramedicine are advocating for a, a chief... What is it, a, a commission? What's, what are you calling it again? Tell, yeah, do so you tell us. Give par- us... A chief
3: paramedic. But yeah. I mean, great. They call it a chief paramedic officer in Victoria. I, I, don't, I don't love that name, but <laughs> a chief paramedic is kind, of, is kind of what we're saying.
1: What's that? What, how would it help?
3: Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, so, so people would be familiar, you know, in, in, in all states uh, and territories uh, in Australia and in New Zealand and, and at a Commonwealth level, there's a chief medical officer, so a very senior doctor who can provide advice and context and advocacy into, into government. Uh, there's, a chief, there's generally a chief nurse and midwifery officer and there's generally a chief allied health officer, and there's always there's some others as well. Now Victoria really took uh, uh, the lead nationally uh, on this and appointed a chief paramedic, a chief paramedic officer some time ago. Um, and and what uh, and that's Associate Professor Alan Ead and he works for Safer Care Victoria and what so he's outside of the ambulance service he's independent to the ambulance service and his role is really focused about making sure it's patient safety is number one his role and that's quite one when we would support that for for the, the chief role at a Commonwealth level, but it's really about saying actually you've got this workforce that can contribute and what we saw in Victoria especially with the response to things like vaccination clinics and testing for for, for COVID, is is. Is Alan was able to say, actually, you've got this latent workforce of graduates who are un- graduate paramedics who are unemployed because, unlike other medical professions, we have a surplus of graduates in Australia mm. for paramedics. You can use these guys; these are they're registered health professionals, tertiary educated. They've done intern years. You know, they've been out there. They've seen. They've seen the world. They can do this stuff, and they and we and they did in Victoria, and they kind of really leveraged that. And unfortunately, that doesn't exist anywhere else. And so there's kind of there's this there's this gap that exists uh, in, in, in advocacy to government. And when, and, you know, and during the early parts of the pandemic, you know, I met with, you know, I met with the health minister and I met with um, I met with the senior defense leaders who are leading kind of the response. They go, we never knew Mm. that there were paramedics out there that could do this. Mm. And that's because there's nobody there saying, Mm. actually you've got this workforce who works in community care. They work in primary Mm. care. They work in emergency care. They work all across these places. Um, You know, leverage that workforce they're just sitting there doing mm. you know these these people who are, who are who are not able to get jobs out of university they're sitting there literally doing nothing or going to london you know mm. <laughs> It's
1: put them to work. So having a seat at the table in those absolutely, important conversations, absolutely. hey. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds
2: it sounds absolutely essential. It sounds like a no-brainer, and we resoundingly support that.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very thing. Yeah, for what it's worth, radiotherapy, our team at least, yeah. You're, we're on board.
3: You're, you're headlining on our next video Yeah.
1: <laughs> I am just aware of the time, Ryan, and we're nearly out of time, but before we say goodbye, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to have the floor for another minute or two. Is there anything that you'd like to say – Just for our listeners to take home with them, we've got an election next week. The floor is yours.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No Um, pressure. Yeah, yeah, I I think I think it goes back to I think goes back to this this point. It's 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 you know paramedics are doing and and all health professionals and I can't single us out. They're doing it really tough. Um, It's really it's a really hard environment out there at the moment for everybody. You know, I, I speak to my colleagues around the country and 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 it's just and for them it's 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 really a really tough period of time so please be kind to us and Mm. to all health professionals uh and and go and meet your local gp and get a really good relationship with uh, with a really good local gp because they will be uh they will be your your bedrock of healthcare moving forward and when it all goes wrong Mm. and when it doesn't work absolutely please call 000 or please talk to or please go to an emergency department because we will be there we'll be happy to help you Mm. in that situation
2: and i think that's like ryan just to touch on what you brought up before about it is our responsibility as a health service to look after you so don't be shy about calling 000 if that's what you need to do
3: absolutely yeah
2: thank you so much
1: for your time ryan it's been so wonderful having you
3: it's been great thank you
1: this is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organization in melbourne australia Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Um, That's been Radiotherapy Today. My name's Training Wheels. I nearly said my name's Paddle Beater.
0: (laughs) Nobody wants that.
1: I think it's time to go. I think it must be. I've run out of steam, obviously. Cyber Sue, thank you
2: so much for coming in. No, thank you too. And thank you, given the size of your belly. (laughs) Yeah, Trainer Wheels is barely able to reach the microphone today (laughs) as her belly grows by the moment. Don't ask
1: me to tie my shoes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And considering your, you know, the whole, you know, talking about health and climate Mm -hmm. and everything, a little bit under the weather, but you got here. I did. I got here in the end. I was I'm feeling a bit grateful. average yeah. yesterday, but I've come good this morning. Yeah.
1: Um, Dr Patient, it's so good to see you. Hopefully next time you'll be able to join us in real life.
0: We will look after you. I'm going to get up and go for a run. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope the next few weeks pass quickly for you and you're up and yeah, about thanks. soon. The,
0: it's, it's been, uh, it's I think we're at... Hopefully, in the next two weeks, it'll be a it'll be a tipping point to start to be able to start putting some weight on it. Uh, but uh, Good on just you. until then, I'm catching up on uh, catching up on all the entertainment. Yes, it looks
1: like you're keeping your sense of humour though. So hopefully, <laughs> that'll keep you going for the next few weeks. Um, panel beater, thank you for your skillful. Oh.
0: It was great pressing. hanging out with you guys.
4: Likewise. We love you, panel beater. Likewise. <laughs> Don't forget
1: you can listen to us on the podcast. We've got Facebook, Radiotherapy on 3RRR. We've got Instagram, Twitter. We're on all of the platforms. We're just everywhere. You can't <laughs> get away from we're,
2: us. We're on the platforms you haven't even invented yet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's so true, Cyber Sue. Uh Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Hi.